We're going to spend a few moments this morning talking about a, a, an issue, a topic, a, a wonderful thing about God that unless you run in theological circles, you probably don't talk about all that often. We're going to talk about God's sovereignty. That's a scary thing to talk about, especially when... I plan the service, I know what's going on, and then all of a sudden I realize that it's communion, so it's shorter. So this may feel a little bit like a fire hose. We're, we're going to try to not make it feel that way. Uh, but what that's going to mean is we're going to get to references really quickly. So if you're not able to flip to a reference as quickly as possible, most of them are listed in your bulletin. Somebody gave us that idea. And so we've listed most of the references that I'll be using in your bulletin. You can take a look at those whenever you'd like. And then they'll be on the screen for all the ones that are in the bulletin. And then there's going to be a few others that we perhaps throw in as well. But we're going to read this passage out of Ephesians. And as we do, just listen to the idea of God's sovereignty out of this. We're going to read verses 1 through 14. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful to Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Jesus Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Three weeks we're going to look at these verses because I couldn't figure out just one thing to focus on. There are multiple threads through this, all built on the same idea of God's sovereignty. Hopefully, as we read this, and as you read this at home, even before you were here, you were hit by, and you recognized the, the concept of God's sovereignty in all of this. If you're not familiar with the word sovereignty, that's okay. It basically means that you have complete and utter control over that which is yours. So in the case of God, he has complete and utter control over that which he created, which is everything, including you and me, including elections, including countries, including worlds and regimes, including everything you can imagine, including Satan. God has utter and complete control over this. Now, 
We don't have exact answers as to why God does what he does. We're not even going to try to answer all of that this morning because there's not an answer that he provides to us. There's answers that we can conjure up and try to have, but we don't know why God does what he does. We just know that he is in control of what he does. That's what we see here, that God is in total and complete control over that which is his and that which he created. So, how do we know that? Where do we see that in this text? Because if we're going to stand here and and speak what the text says, then we have to know why or where, at least, it says what it says. So here's what we have. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. If you think about that for a moment, it's crazy. God chose us in Christ before he created the world and his adopting us or choosing us in Christ means that he redeemed us. Redeemed us from what? There isn't even a world in which people could have sinned yet. And Paul writes, inspired by the Spirit, that God chose us to redeem us in Christ before there was sin from which we needed to be redeemed. Meaning somehow our brokenness fits into God's plan. His sovereign control did not lose control in that moment. How exactly does that work out? Why exactly did he do it that way? Like I said, we don't exactly have answers for the whys in scripture. What we're told is God is sovereign, we are stewards. The sovereign, the king is the one in control and does not need to relay all information to the steward. The steward gets only what the steward needs to have in order to do what the steward is meant to do. And in our case, the steward is meant to trust which means if God were to give us all the information, we would no longer need to trust. There's a difference. In the end, in the very, very end, every being will bow before Jesus, but not every being will live in eternity with him, though every being bows before him. Because there is a difference between willingly kneeling before the king and being forced in submission because of the weight of his power. Those are different things. And he puts us in a place where even though he's in control, he gives us a choice, a chance, an opportunity to willingly submit to his sovereignty, to to willingly submit to his redemption, and thereby live in eternity with him forever. But really, we've jumped to the end of this passage. And we don't want to jump to the end of this passage. Like I said, we're going to spend three weeks here. This week, we're looking at God's sovereignty, the characteristic, the attribute of God, of his sovereignty. Next week, we're going to look at the confidence then that we have in our salvation because of his sovereignty. We do not have confidence in our salvation short of God being sovereign. And then after that, we're going to look at a phrase that comes three times in this passage. And it says that all of this is done to the praise of his glory. Our redemption, God's sovereignty, to the praise of his glory. Three times in these verses that phrase is used. But God chose us in him before the foundation of the world. 
right? If we were to jump to John chapter 6, verses 44 and 37. I know that's backwards. You're supposed to say 37 and 44. And as somebody who likes a particular order on particular things that I care about, things that I don't care about as much, I don't care about the order. But the Bible was written in a particular order for a particular reason. But we're going to look at these verses backwards because Jesus says the one and then gives the foundation for it. We're going to look at the foundation he gives and look at what comes after that. John chapter 6, verse 44, Jesus writes, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. No one can come to me unless God draws him. Now back up to 37, which he's just told them. He says, all that the Father gives to me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. So you cannot come to Jesus unless God draws you. And everyone God draws comes to Jesus. And then he will never throw you out. Regardless of your own stupidity of your own brokenness, of your own poor choices. Remember, we were talking at the beginning of communion, if you're living a life that is intentionally uncaring about being in opposition to Christ, believers can find themselves in that moment for a time to where we, we don't care about him, we're, we're focused on our own selves. If that becomes, though, the pattern of our life over and over and over and over again, I would encourage you, whether it's me or whether it's you or whether it's a friend, question the validity of your own salvation. Because the worst advice that you could be given is don't worry about it. It's okay. Because if it's not okay, you end up in eternity away from Jesus, which is called hell, and that is not okay. Question your salvation. If you choose constantly to not live according to the scripture, to not live according to honoring Jesus, question whether you actually care about him and love him. And if you do and you find yourself embroiled and enwrapped in this constant struggle of life, then no, Paul did too in Romans chapter seven. He rues his own decisions. He hates the things he does. And yet he finds himself still doing those things though he's saved he finds himself still wrapped in this struggle of sin. No one can come to Jesus unless the Father draws him, and all he draws come to him. If we go on, it says that in love he predestined us for adoption as sons. If you were to turn to Romans 8, 28 to 30, he says, Paul again writes, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. In order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. God chose people to follow him. I have adopted three children. You know what's consistent? In all of them, none of them had a choice. Does that mean I somehow forced badness on them? No. I brought them out of what could have been a very bad situation, and we brought them into what is hopefully a good situation. Now, God doesn't have to say hopefully and hopefully or probably and hopefully. God knows we are in a dire situation. He puts us in a glorious one. But he adopted us. I didn't ask Noah when we first met him. By the way, he was about 20 minutes old. 
I didn't ask him, hey, would you like to come with us? We just picked him up and Allison held him and we said, you're ours. Why? Because we love you. God adopted us from the death that we were trapped in to the life that he gives. That is not a bad thing. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will to the praise of his glorious grace in which he blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight. If you get down to verse 10, as a plan from the fullness of time, it was to unite in him all things in heaven and things on earth. Last week or a couple weeks ago, we talked about Colossians chapter one, verse 18, which talks about the exaltion of Christ, right? The exalting him to the highest place, making him preeminent in everything. It goes on, Paul goes on after that in verses 20 and 21 to say that he is preeminent for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether in earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Everything that is redeemed is redeemed through Jesus. Not everything that redeems themselves, everything that is redeemed. As we move on, we get to Ephesians 1.11, which is perhaps the, the ultimate verse in all of Scripture about God's sovereign control. And it says this, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Why? Why then do things happen that we don't like? I don't know. Why then does God allow things that are bad? I don't know. I should never stand here. Nobody should ever stand here and claim to know that which God does not give us knowledge into. But we do know that he is in control of it. He is in charge. Now, it's important to understand that God does not have to be in charge in the same way that we are in charge. If I was going to be in total sovereign control over everything, I would have to confine it to not ever let anything move anything other than what I exactly say. And that may be how he does it. I don't know. He doesn't tell us. But I do know that God is bigger than us greater than us. God can do things that make no sense. God can take Joseph's brothers, have them get angry at him because Joseph was a jerk. We have to know this. Joseph was prideful and rude, and he was not a nice brother to have. He didn't necessarily need to be thrown into a well to die and then sold into slavery so they could make money on him instead of killing him. I'm not saying he deserved that. But he was not this humble, meek, great guy that we see later. I mean, he told his dad, you're going to bow down to me because that was his dream and it was true. But I'm not sure you go to your dad and say, hey, guess what? In a little bit of time, I'm gonna be greater than you and you're gonna bow down to me. That's not a submissive, humble attitude. Anyway, 
They sell him into slavery. He becomes second ruler in all of Egypt. They come to him, buy stuff, not knowing it's from him. They go home. He makes them come back through trickery and all sorts of stuff. And then his father comes and then eventually his father dies. They know who he is, all is well. His father dies and we go back to Genesis chapter 50 verse 20 and his brothers come to him after Joseph's dead and they say, oh hey, by the way, dad said that, that when, he's, when he's gone, you, you, you should be nice to us. I'm not exactly sure that's how it went, but that's what it sounds like. Because we are never told that Joseph told them that. We're just told that they, or that that. Jacob told them that. They just went and told Joseph, hey, guess what? Dad said to be nice to us when he's dead. And what does Joseph reply with? What you intended for evil, what you masterminded and put together to ruin me, God used for good. That's not what it says. I tricked you. I'm a tricky person. And I will do that at times because Sometimes we, in our minds, think a verse says a certain thing that a verse doesn't actually say. So it says what you meant for evil, what you masterminded, what you put together, what you were the impetus behind, God intended, masterminded, put together, was the impetus behind for good. Which means as they were doing sin, God was doing redemption through their sin. How does that work? I don't know. I just know that it does because that's what it says. So it has to mean that. So God's sovereignty should cause us, right, then to be terrified. Well, sort of, perhaps, a little. I mean, terrified in the sense that God is greater and bigger than us, yes. Terrified in the sense that the beginning of knowledge is the, or the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, right? Right? That sort of terror, yeah, we should have that because God is bigger than us and way scary. If you look through the scriptures, when people see angels, they fall down, terrified, afraid their life is going to end. And angels, when they see God, fall down, terrified, afraid their lives are going to end. Not really because they're not sinful, but they're afraid of God in that sort of way. As much stronger angels are than us, God is than angels. We should be terrified. That's a big being. That's a big God. So we should be scared in that sense. But it shouldn't cause us the type of terror that is, that I don't want anything to do with that. Friday afternoon, my wife was, was really doing awesome. Our house was getting packed. Things were going on. Or actually, they were gone. We were cleaning the house. And we have a dog and four cats that were coming with us. This woman let a dog and four cats ride in her vehicle, the cats were in cages, from Iowa to Marquette. I would have thrown them out the window. Defenestrated is the actual word you need to know here. I would have defenestrated these cats to throw out of a window. I rode with them for a short time one time. I had to take one to the vet, and it was only a 20-minute ride, and, and it almost didn't make it. It just sat there and meowed and clawed and made noise that I didn't want to hear. But she took them from 8 o'clock yesterday morning to 11 o'clock last night or 10 o'clock last night and had them in her vehicle. She is a saint, right? But 
We have this one cat named Ginger. Ginger happens to be Zariah's cat. Zariah is the biggest animal lover ever. And we had all the cats put in the garage or in bathrooms so they wouldn't get away. The boys took the cats out and we forgot to tell them that these cats do not like to go in carrying cages or crates, prisons, I mean crates. And they went crazy and she got loose outside exactly like eight minutes before we're ready to leave. And she ran down into our ravine, which is about a 70 foot deep, I don't know, however long ravine, long enough that it spans our whole property, which is seven acres. And this cat is running away from every human because we've locked her in the garage for an entire day. Awful, awful people making sure we could bring her with us. And she ran and ran and ran. And the boys chased her and tried to call her. And I couldn't do anything because we both know I don't like her and she doesn't like me. So, so there was nothing I could do to help. And so all of a sudden I realized we are not going to bring Zariah's cat with us if we're not careful. So I prayed, God, you are the only one who can bring this blasted cat back. I mean, it's a cat, Right? This is not a big deal, except Zariah wasn't even home because she was in Minnesota with grandma and grandpa. So her cat that was coming was all of a sudden maybe not coming and this was not gonna go well. So Allison called her mom and the kids started to pray, God, let the cat come back. Then all of a sudden this running wild cat let Allison grab it. Now, coincidence? I don't believe in such a thing, but could it be? Sure. Could God also be in control of the cat? Definitely. So God in his sovereignty allowed us to catch Ginger the cat to bring it to Marquette so that it could eat mice at our new house instead of our old house. God is sovereign over those things. What if God had chosen not to let the cat come back? He would still have been sovereign over the cat. Even if in his Wisdom in his knowledge, he would have chosen to not let that happen. Why would he have done that? Because it would have been to his greatest glory, making Christ the preeminent one in the universe to somehow not have the cat come back or to have the cat come back. And God is going to do that which makes Christ the most exalted. That's what he's going to do. How exactly does that work? Why exactly does he do it in particular ways? Again, we don't know. But we can rest that he does. God, God makes sure, should make sure, we, or rather, he does make sure and we should get that his sovereign control does not make our lives harder. Julie read this morning, Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light for I'm gentle and lowly in spirit. That's the God that we serve. There's a book that I, I'm terrified to preach through. It's the book of Revelation. And it's mainly because the more I study it, the less I understand it, except for one thing. You read chapter one, skip two, three, and four because they're, they're different in the sense that they're letters written to particular churches warning them because of what's gonna come after that. But then begin, begin again in chapter four, go all the way through 22. And what you see 
is that the purpose of Revelation, I believe, is not to tell us how the end times happen. It's to tell us that Jesus wins. No matter how bad it gets, no matter how hard it is, no matter who wins which elections come Tuesday, Jesus wins. Why? Because he's the sovereign over creation. He's the one who controls. He's the one who is in charge. He's the one who causes. If we go back to Daniel chapter two, this is Daniel speaking to the king, to Nebuchadnezzar, and he says this, God changes times and seasons because Nebuchadnezzar's wondering how David's gonna be able to or was able to understand his dream. He said, God, he changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. God is the one who sets those up. And when he's done with one, he sets it down. He topples it. I'm not making some statement about what's happening on Tuesday. But if God's in control of an empire like that, He's still in control of an election come Tuesday. When we come to Philippians chapter two, one of, one of several passages that are, that are key in my life. He starts in verse five. He says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God, a thing to be used to his own advantage or grasped in that sense. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That's what Jesus did. Okay. That's what he did by coming to earth. He humbled himself. He became obedient to death. He didn't use his divine rights. He emptied himself. Therefore, God has exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. God's sovereignty is meant for that. It's meant to lead us to know that that is true. That in the end, Jesus will be the one who stands victorious over everything. So that when we come to trials in our lives, when we're worried about things, Jesus can tell us, do not be worried about your life. Don't be anxious. It's Matthew chapter six. Why? Because he's in control. Even when things are hard, he's in control. Even when we don't understand things, he's in control. Even when life takes a left, when we thought it was going to take a right, he's in control. So we can rest knowing that we are not the ones who have to win the day. Our job is to trust. Our job is to follow and obey. His job is to win. Proverbs 16, 9 says that a man, well, we'll read it so I don't speak a different. If I, if I say things without looking them up, I'll have a tendency to give you like three versions in one. And then if you look at it, you're like, oh, I don't even know where he got that. Proverbs 16, 9. The heart of a man plans his way. That's what we do. In our heart, we plan. What's going to happen? How are we going to do this? 
wise as serpents, Jesus says, right? We make plans, we try to institute them and make them happen. But the Lord establishes his steps. The Lord makes it so your step doesn't crumble every time you take it. Psalm 127 says that unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Do all that you want. Make it as great as you can. But unless the Lord is doing it with you, for you, through you, it's a waste of your time because it will crumble to dust. Which is where we can step back and say, you know what? If my best efforts fail, God is still in control. If my best plans don't bring us to where we want to be, God is still in control. He's still doing his God stuff. I make my best plans. I see them out. When things go haywire, I don't say, oh, I'm so stupid. I'm so bad. God must hate me. We say, you know what? God is still in control. God is still sovereign. God is still doing his things. So let's make the best choice we can next time. And then if it falls apart again, we say, let's make the best choice we can next time. We pray for our friends and our neighbors and our family members who aren't followers of Jesus, knowing that God can change hearts and adopt people and we can't force it to happen. Why does he not choose some people? I don't know. But he's chosen to adopt us, those he has. And we're to revel in that, to glorify him in that and trust him for what he's doing. God's sovereignty doesn't make our life harder. It actually makes our life way easier. We just trust. And then tomorrow we trust, and we trust, and we trust. Let's pray. God, thank you for today. Thank you for your son. Thank you for the opportunity that we have to know you and follow you. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity we have to celebrate communion and the life that you give us in your son. We pray, Lord, that you would be glorified in us for the rest of the day, tomorrow in our lives as we make choices. We pray, Father, that you would continue to teach us what your sovereignty looks like to give us rest in it, to give us peace in it, to allow us to see our trust deepen as we exalt you and see you preeminent in our lives. We do love you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.